0: So there you are, getting ready to launch a podcast for your company. You've done your research, you've mapped out your strategy, you've planned your content, you've scheduled your guests, and then just before you launch the show, everything changes. One of your hosts is out, and you're left to figure out who's going to take the mic. Just as you're looking around for that new host, everyone else's eyes turn to you. Surprise, you're the host now. What do you do? Hello, everyone. I'm Lindsay Chepkema, CEO and co-founder of Casted, the B2B podcast platform. And this is our podcast. So there's this little company called Salesforce. Maybe you've heard of it? Well, that not so little company has a not so little podcast. It's called the Salesforce Marketing Cloudcast. It was actually one of the first B2B podcasts launching shortly after another little show called Serial, right after that hit our eardrums for the first time. That show, the Salesforce Marketing Cloudcast, that is, has a long history evolving over the years, but maintaining its listenership and paving the way to a few other Salesforce podcasts part of the reason for the show's success is one of the show's original hosts, Haika Young. She set out to produce the show, ended up as one of its first hosts, and has since gone on to hand the mic over to a new set of talented hosts. Let's hear from Haika herself on the Salesforce Marketing Cloudcast and how it was created, as well as the unexpected turns it took along the way, and all the work she did behind the scenes. To capture great interviews, create exceptional guest experiences, and promote the show to get
1: maximum value from it. I'm Heika Young. I'm our senior manager for strategy and insights at Salesforce. Thanks, Heika. It's so good to have you on the
0: show. And you're coming to us from a company we all know, Salesforce. You're here to tell us about the Marketing Cloudcast, um, which is one of the first really B2B podcasts that that was out there um so give me a little bit of context about your history there um your role and how the
1: podcast came to be I've been around Salesforce for about six and a half years, I guess, depending on when this is published and the exact date. Um, so, I joined Exact Target in February of 2013. I was the first ever new hire on the then nascent content marketing team. And uh, so, I was writing, you know, working on things like white papers and research reports and so many different blog posts, blog posts for everything under the sun in the world of marketing. And I worked on a couple of different content teams at Salesforce right after that including our corporate content team and, uh, really, I guess it was about five years ago um, that there was a a group of people, I guess I would call them content innovators (laughs) at Salesforce, some of our thought leaders internally that were always just pushing the envelope on content types. Um, The individuals I'm I'm referring to are Jeff Roars, who used to lead our insights function, uh, and Joel Book, who was our primary thought leader around all things email and digital marketing. And these guys kind of got together and said, you know, Heika, you're on our content team. We'd love for you to help us make a podcast. So many of us are listening to podcasts now. You know, this was kind of right around the time that Serial that was becoming really popular. And of course, everybody in marketing, anytime you see that bright, shiny object, that new content format, you want to make it too. You feel that creative energy kind of pulsing through your veins and you want to make um, something similar to, to the content creators that you admire. And so Jeff and Joel kind of came to me with this idea and i was really jazzed about helping them as a producer and so i said i'm going to learn how to do this i'm going to wrap my mind around what's needed logistically to help you and so as i was doing all of this research Lindsay, and trying to figure out you know what i needed to do to produce the show for these guys um one of them jeff actually had the opportunity to pursue a new challenge outside of salesforce and i was really sad (laughs) because we had already put a couple episodes in the can and what I was doing at the time was just recording a few of these and you know, kind of just getting some content ready to launch so that when we did have a launch day and all the branding in mind, we could, we could go for it. And he said, you know, what I really think you should do Hika is just, co-host it yourself join Joel this may not have been anything you've ever done before but I really think you should just be the one to try it you've got to be on all the calls anyway as the producer so you should just do it just run for it and I was super nervous um but but I decided to do it I'm really glad I did that's awesome so I guess lean into that a little bit more. What was it like? Did did you end
0: up airing the episodes that Jeff was a part of and then you just switched over to you or what did that look
1: like? Uh, no, we ended up needing to, um, unfortunately, we ended up needing to upcycle <laughs> a couple elements of those episodes, but not fully using them. Um, so yeah, we didn't end up doing that. But yeah, so I kind of through this process, um, I kind of just began to, think about some of my favorite podcasts, not just those in marketing, but really out in the world in general, and what made me big fans of those shows, and try to just figure out, you know, how Joel and I could bring something similar to the people, and that's really what I did, um, at least in terms of thinking about how we would approach the hosting, but there were so many other logistical (laughs) considerations um, for launching a show like this, and it sounds so easy. I think a podcast sounds very low. I'm sure anybody out there who's ever launched a podcast or thinking about it has thought about it can relate but a podcast sounds so easy like how hard could it possibly be get a microphone hit record, talk about some interesting stuff. On the contrary, all of us, especially those of us who are in B2B, uh, marketing at large complex organizations know that there are so many more boxes to, to check off when you embark on a project like this. And it's really not as simple as the best podcasters make it sound.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things, it's like watching um, Olympic sports. And it's like, I could totally do that. <laughs> right, the, 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 the very, very, very best yeah, the very best make it seem so flawless, like oh that that ski slope, I could totally do that. I've never actually been skiing before, but I'm sure I'm sure I could do that, right. I mean same thing with podcasts you you listen to a really, really good one, and it just seems so effortless, which is how you know it's good Tell me about um time leading up to the show how how much was involved? between the day you said, okay, we're going to do this thing and the launch day?
1: Ah, yes. So many logistics. I could probably write a book just on what I did logistically to try to prepare for this. And I probably still didn't do everything that I possibly could have <laughs> to make this a real success um, there was definitely a lot of that internal selling and pitching of the idea um, namely my manager you know I let her know um, with some numbers um, financially what this was going to cost the team but even though a, a podcast isn't too expensive um, it, it can certainly ex- escalate in costs with the complexity and with you know the more that you want to do things like run ads for it um, do some paid campaigns for it there's really no shortage of money that you could spend if you had the ability to do so uh, even though it's pretty cheap to get started so kind of starting off with some of those initial numbers you know crunching those this is what we think that we should do Um, and then just really going into um, the logistics of you know, where this was going to be published, all of the distribution tactics, our blog, our social channels, I mentioned those um, organic channels are great for podcasters because they are free. <laughs> and I think many of us going into podcasting, it may not be a proven tactic yet. So you may have to start with like a smaller budget than you would um, for a brand new event, for example, a proven tactic. Um, we did a lot of work uh, on the branding. So we did, um, we did go through a process of, you know, working out a couple logos, um, working on the title, making sure everybody felt good about that, you know, all of the legal approvals necessary to make sure you can bring a new uh, brand name like that into market, Uh, licensing a bunch of music for things like, you know, the intros or commercials on other podcasts, um, outros and so on, Um, getting all of the equipment together for the hosts um, as well as uh, guests if they did need it and they wanted to borrow it. But yeah, also just some of the other logistics, things like transcriptions, um, like pre-interview questions that you would send them, um, getting all of that up and running. Because once the the podcast is like, it's like a train, once it starts, (laughs) it just kind of, going, right? The train is green and you are the conductor of the train. You've got to feed the beast. you got to be piping hot coals into that thing every week so that it's continuing to maintain momentum uh, in the market and get more listens and downloads, at least if you're trying to do a weekly uh, podcasting model instead of something where you, you drop an entire mini season at once. So really no shortage to things that you could consider. I would say if I had to think about The one or two that would make the biggest impact. It was really analyzing the strategy, like analyzing the topics and um, just the the types of guests that we wanted to feature, making sure everybody felt good and was was aligned on that. And then uh, aligning on the distribution. So all of the channels week to week that we would be using to, uh, to promote it. Cause there's nothing worse than creating something amazing, creating some wonderful content and then nobody can help you promote it. They say, oh, we're, we're promoting another thing right now. We're launching this uh, or, oh, well we can't actually use that at this time because uh, our paid budgets are going to this thing. Um, really the distribution arm is as important as the creation arm. So aligning on that is super, super key. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and one thing we
0: talk a lot about here, I guess it is, you know, go create your show. Um, once you hit publish, you're just getting started, right? I mean, if you're, if you just hit publish, you're leaving so much value on the table it's, it's what you do with it from there so talk to me a little bit about about that so how in your time with the show did you
1: leverage the show what did what did you do with it once you published it well there were really three key audiences that i wanted to love this show marketing <laughs> at salesforce sales at Salesforce, and of course, our customers and our prospects. Um, And so I had different metrics of success and just different measures of how I would know that I was resonating for each of these groups. Um, On the marketing side, my goal was really to tap into uh, as many organic channels as possible. So things like organic social, um, social images, audiograms, there's a lot of really cool tools that let you do this now. So just as many free channels as you can possibly tap into on the marketing side do all of those it's a great idea then there's the sales side so for us um, our sales people have a ton of content that they can push out to customers uh, some of it does tend to you might guess be pretty salesy it's pretty product focused and so having a more top of the funnel thought leadership um, type of uh, type of approach here um, something very engaging and interactive um, for them to share with their customers is great but it's also an educational tool for sales you know it's the sales people are not just the mouthpiece to customers they're not just um the the middleman between you and customers your sales team needs this information to probably get educated on the market as well and so one of the things i was really proud of was how much our sales team would reach out to me and say oh i always listen to this you know when i'm driving into my territory It just gets me in the right mindset for work um, and it keeps me fresh on all of the latest trending topics uh, that I'm gonna be talking with my customers about later. So that's perfect. Uh, And then finally on the customer side, you know, really wanting to make sure that customers knew about it, that they could participate in it by joining as guests, um, and that if they were guests, that they had that VIP experience. So um, I was really focused on making sure that customers who appeared um, just kind of felt like even though this was the Salesforce Marketing Podcast and I knew I'm the Wizard of Oz behind the curtains (laughs) pulling all of the levers um, and it's it's kind of just me, but making it feel like a very first-rate experience experience for them, you know, sending a gift afterward, making sure that they knew um, the nice things that people internally at Salesforce were saying about it, how we were using it um, and just giving them like a great, um, a great memory of their time. And so I think the podcast, it, it becomes kind of an essential part of sales, marketing and external engagement if you look at it that way.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Because again, if you if all you're doing is just publishing the show and expecting sales to use it and success to know that it's there and your client or your your client your guest to um, share it and people to just fall in love with it and for it to go viral so to speak, that's that's not typically what happens. You, you're just getting started and, and leveraging it and making sure that you're getting all the value out of it. Not only as a not just as a podcast, but also Like as part of your overall content strategy, right? You were talking about consumption of podcasts and how you crank through and doing more and more and more. Same could be said for creation of podcasts. I mean, there's definitely a lot of podcasters out there that it's just, it's all about quantity and, you know, nobody's going back and editing or uh, you're you're pushing through guests and you're not prepping or you know, following up, when you have someone who's on your show, whether they are a high profile author or influencer, or they're a a practitioner, someone who's doing the work that you're talking about on the show, it's really, really important to really be thoughtful about that experience and what your guests go through. So um, how did that evolve? How did that come about and how did it evolve?
1: It's a great question. And I think it's definitely, even though I wasn't so eloquent, eloquent as to say the, you know, guest experience, as you just said, <laughs> I think that it did become apparent to me that if I wanted these guests to be repeat guests, or if I wanted them to share with their networks, like you said, if they were an influencer um, and they had a, a broad social network, part of the benefit, obviously, of getting that guest is also that you hope they're going to share it with people, of course.
0: Right, and right. And
1: so- yeah, it became clear to me that creating a great experience for them, from the scheduling process all the way through to the interview itself, um, down to giving them some assets for social sharing, was really important. Um, so I had a few different templatized emails. Like I'm, I'm just a sucker for efficiency. So you know, I definitely. Had some template type emails that I would use, um, some social graphics that I would share with them. Uh, initially, it was just PNGs and images, but later I brought in like some audiograms and different types of videos for social sharing. Um, but yeah, it's all an important part of the process and probably the apex of that experience is really the interview itself. So whether you are planning to interview the person and then just almost verbatim cut that um, tape and then publish it, or whether you're planning to do uh, a more detailed uh, type of edit with it, the interview is really (laughs) everything. That's where you get all of the tape and the great moments. And so you know, I actually asked a lot of, um, experts a while back, like people that always go on podcasts, you know, kind of what are the best podcast hosts doing to make this a good experience for you? Like, I don't want it to just be another show. And then you forget about it. And there's just, I don't know, there's some simple things you can do, like being prepared, doing your homework. It sounds really simple, but not everybody does it. Um, Also, just getting to ask, getting to answer questions that they've never answered before. I think this is why the show Hot Ones on YouTube is so popular. The interviewer is always asking these, sometimes seemingly random, (laughs) but certainly well-researched questions to all of the guests. Um, And also just, you know, treating people, um, really treating them like humans and not just like interview robots Um, because you can't, people are not dogs. You can't say, sit, stay, say a great quote. You really have to coax them into great moments of tape. The benefit that I really had for launching a new podcast at Salesforce like this uh, was that I had the buy-in of a couple key individuals, namely Jeff and Joel, who thought it was a great idea and who wanted to help. Um, And so having a couple folks who have a lot of respect in the organization uh, is a great way to just get some of those early um, executives bought in uh, once they know that there's already a lot of great talent uh, devoted to a project like this. definitely aside from just us you know there wasn't um, there weren't that many people who were all part of this team. It was a pretty small tiger team who came together and said yeah we're gonna make the time to do this week after week we're gonna schedule the guests All we really need is a small investment uh, in real estate on the blog maybe some uh, creative resources to create a few logos and different images for social sh- social sharing um, but a lot of the thought early on was really put more toward, you know, why do we need this? What are going to be the differentiators of this show? Do we have the bandwidth? You know, is it a podcast that we need to create a video series or something else? Um, and really, just thinking through what it would take realistically, I think was key in evangelizing this idea. Um, we took several months to really go through this due diligence, and I think that really helped pay off uh, in the end in terms of making sure everybody was bought in on the fact that this wouldn't just be such a such a small lift, it would actually require a lot of collaboration.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you feel like looking back that those estimates and predictions were correct or did you overestimate or underestimate how much would be involved?
1: Well, I definitely overestimated and underestimated um, across the board. You know, now looking back, there's things that um, that I definitely know that, that I didn't know then. Um, a couple, I guess a couple things I would say. One is that um, I kind of took for granted that a lot of people, would know how to listen to and download podcasts. It sounds really simple, um, but I'm not just talking about you know customers and audience members. I'm also talking about people internally. I think there's there's a subset of the American and global population that loves listening to podcasts. You know, we've got them on our devices everywhere. We're listening at double the speed, so we can get through more. We're kind of uh, super listeners. But there's a lot of folks that. Maybe they've never actually downloaded a podcast before. Um, Maybe this is brand new information to them. They don't know if they should use the native, you know, iTunes app or if they should use something else. And both externally and internally, I think I kind of overestimated the amount of people that would just immediately know how to do this. So um, one of the things that I began doing was in all of my blog posts early on, I would just include like a couple quick screenshots with literally how to subscribe, (laughs) just to let people know how to do this, like click on this button and you will be subscribed. Um, another thing that I guess I underestimated was probably just the amount of time it would take to schedule and get high quality guests, um, as well as just sending them swag, um, just basically everything having to do with external guests. It is such a beast of a job. It involves things like PR. Uh, if you're dealing with High-profile authors or customers. It involves things like um, like enablement. Maybe there's some salespeople that you want to capitalize on their relationships with customers. So you need to educate them about what you need, and then get their customers on board. Uh, it, it just involves so many different pieces. Like I also had this idea early on that I'd seen other podcasters do, where they mailed gifts to all of their guests. So I thought that was a really sweet idea. And that alone, that spreadsheet that I maintained of addresses and shipping gifts, it took so many hours of my life and I think it was probably worth it, but I would crunch some ROI numbers to know for sure. What did success look like to you? What what kinds of things were you measuring and how were you doing that? Definitely. Well, anybody who's ever worked on a podcast knows that measuring is kind of a moving target. Um, We talked a little bit earlier about how a lot has changed since I launched this podcast in 2015. So back in 2015, iTunes didn't even have that data yet on duration listened to. It was really Mm -hmm. just downloads, you know, uh, countries in the world where people had listened from, and it was really rough. If I were doing so today, I would not lo- only look at downloads, but I would also look at, um, certainly duration listened to, you know, this is something Jay Aconzo says all the time, get them to the end. That's the most important thing. What percentage are actually getting to the end. And if they're not getting to the end, there could be a couple things at play. It could be too long of content. It could be not resonant enough. There's some different things you could, you could look into there. Um, I also did a number of listener surveys to just inquire what was, what were some of the most interesting, um, pieces of content to them, uh, what were their favorite interviews, as well as their least favorite. So it's hard, but you kind of got to ask, what don't you like (laughs) about this? And you'll get some really interesting answers. Um, And then I also measured success by a number of customer stories highlighted. So I wanted to make sure we had a sufficient number of those um, each quarter, as well as how it spawned off other content. So we talked about how this can be uh, the crux or the apex of a multifaceted content strategy. So just measuring how many other types of content that we were able to create uh, based on these interviews, which admittedly are kind of a high lift. So um, there's definitely a lot more, I think, that podcasters can look into for their specific business needs. Um, another thing that we did at one point I should point out too, was we, uh, we did a bunch of SMS text to downloads and we had those links, um, created in Salesforce. They were unique URLs, um, just with the, the podcast, you know, as the driver. And so we were able to see how many people downloaded uh, different PDFs from uh, lead generation pages based on the podcast. So that was a, a cool idea to try, uh, with with SMS, um, but you know, I think more so than just the numbers alone. You know, there's so many vanity metrics around this. Oh, we're in the top ten on iTunes in the business category or whatever that that are great. But I think for me, what I was more pleased with was just kind of the the resonance. So not so much just the reach, but just the resonance. You know, we won a couple awards, one for best podcast from the Content Marketing Institute, one for best content marketing multi-year program, um, which I'm probably more proud of just because I think <laughs> anybody can create something cool one time, but it's really if you can create something cool repeatedly, that is more impressive. Um, and, and just the just the long tail of it, you know, that people still come up to me at conferences and talk to me about my participation in the Cloudcast um, years later. (laughs) It's still really amazing. The back catalog of podcasts is so, so popular. People love to go back to their favorite shows and listen from the beginning. So just knowing that it continues to find an audience um, from something that I did years ago is just, it's so cool. And it's one of the things that I'm really proudest of in my marketing career
0: yeah as you should be as you should be so what was it like to hand it over and and when
1: did that happen it was really bittersweet to hand over the Marketing Cloudcast to the very capable and talented um, hosts that run it now, Tina and Megan. Although I knew that it wasn't the right time for me to continue doing it, I had received a promotion inside the company and a new role on a different team, and it just it just didn't make sense for me to try to hold on to it. Um, I was still sad to just lose that week-to-week connection with my audience and all of the relationships that I had built with with different guests. It's just so unique. Um, to podcasting, um, I think just the richness and the quality of the relationships and the conversations that you have. Um, but it was ultimately for the best, you know, um, I was able to um, pursue something uh, in our industries team at Salesforce. So I'm over on our retail and consumer goods side now. And it's a it's more of a niche uh, area than marketing in general. And so I just think Tina and Megan are absolutely rocking it now. I'm really proud of everything that they brought to the show. I continue to hear such great feedback from our customers and our listeners about the show. Um, So I'm really happy with where it ended up, Um, but I definitely do still miss it. And I miss, I miss just kind of, Being able to, you know, hop on the phone with some of the industry's coolest, most interesting people and just ask them whatever I wanted to for 30 minutes. So, if you're in a position of getting to do this for your company, you're producing a show, you're editing it, you're even one of the hosts, um, you should feel really fortunate because it's a big deal to get to serve in this function for your company. Um, You're getting, you're being trusted with a lot of important relationships and conversations. And and that's something to be very proud of.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so as podcasters, we all have stories um, behind the mic, if you will, those times where you forgot to hit record or, (laughs) or, you know, there's something happening um, in the studio that you're so glad there's no video feed. So I I know in,
1: you know, the hundred plus episodes that you did, you've, you've got stories. So share one. What's one you can share? Um, back when I was using Skype, there was definitely one time that I was under the blanket for, and I accidentally turned the camera on. And so I'm not sure if anyone saw it. If they did, they were very polite. But I'm pretty sure that I turned the camera on for, by accident for a split second. And so people saw my sweaty face um, in my closet, uh, you know, recording this podcast. It was super <laughs> embarrassing.
0: They're like, wait. <laughs> What? <laughs> what is happening over there?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just it. These are the things that happen when you're do what you got to do. DIYing it. Yeah, yeah.
0: You do what you got to do. And hey, acoustics don't get much better than in a closet under a blanket. I say. They don't. awesome so um well thank you for sharing everything is there anything you would share with listeners um who might be getting started on this path
1: or anything that you would have done differently learnings you'd share one of the things i would really recommend um doing as much as possible and as early as possible is as much listener feedback as you possibly can. So I did some listener surveys via Google Forms. I think this was really effective, but I would have, uh, I would have loved to do it sooner in the process if I had, um, if I had just more resources for getting it out there and then uh, addressing some of the feedback. So more listener surveys. I also recommend like kind of a digital focus group, um, giving them sneak previews, kind of like a Patreon model for your podcast. This is Something that I never did, but I've heard of some great podcasters doing it, and um, that I really admire. You know, folks like Jay Acunzo, who has um, a group of VIP listeners that he just bounces ideas off of and, and shares um, content with um, before releasing to the general public. And I think this is a great idea and something mm-hmm. I should have tried. Um, I also think it would have been a great idea to just get an email list for our show. I think email could have really been the key to unlock long-term, uh, subscribership and participation beyond just the podcast. Um, but it was kind of hard to implement, you know, getting email addresses or so many opt-in, um, requirements and rules, and it was a little bit of a bear to try to get it set up. Um, and so that's something that I would definitely try to do more just to get people to engage, uh, off of the headphones.
0: That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to today's guests, And to learn more about them and see Casted in action with clips of today's show and related content, visit casted.us. Thanks so much for listening.